This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Dave, there's one subject I wish I would have paid more attention to in high school because it would have taught me a lot about fly fishing. Any guesses what it is? Well, it certainly wasn't dating. I think you figured that out. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. I didn't know they offered classes in that. I just oh, think you didn't man. need to attend any of those. Oh, man. Oh, just yeah, joking. thank you. No, no, no. I'm Dave, I'm talking about physics. <laughs> physics? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I didn't really need to pay attention to physics in oh, high school. Man. Well, here's the deal. You and I are literature guys. I mean, we, we like English. We like writing. Uh, I think my love for literature and writing stems from high school lit class when we read uh, Ernest Hemingway's short story, Big Two-Hearted River, about Nick Adams fishing after he returned from the war. But, but I realize now that a lot of the stuff I learned in physics, or should have learned in physics, applies to fly fishing. Uh, physics deals with how matter and energy works, so this includes light, heat, sound, and force. And I have to say that it was listening to Gary Borger at a fly fishing school a few years ago that got me started thinking about physics and how it applies to fly fishing. Now, as you know, Gary is the consummate scientist who earned a PhD at University of Wisconsin, taught in the UW system for many years, but he is a biologist. But even though he's a biologist, you listen to him and realize that his insights include both biology and physics. So today, we're not going to go all physics on you and explain the vector nature of force or the difference between kinetic and potential energy, uh, but we're going to talk about insights that really do relate to force, mass, gravity, motion. And if you have a master's or a PhD in uh, physics, please be patient with us. But uh, Dave, what can we learn from physics that will help us with fly fishing? Well, I think the only thing from physics that matters to me is how big the fish is. Isn't that yeah, some... that's right. Like, that's, how much yes. does it weigh? Yep, that's right. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's start with drag. So Gary Borger says that drag is the number one problem in fly fishing. What do you mean by that? What, what's, what's drag? So drag is getting your fly um, dragged or pulled through the water at an unnatural rate of speed. So something that is not at the level or flow of the current. Now this is miserable to try to execute well because in smaller streams and smaller runs, you, it might appear like there is one uniform flow, mm -hmm. but there's different water, there's different flows at the different water column depths. And so when you get in trouble, it's because the current is in a faster section of the river will speed up the midsection of your line when your fly is in a slower section. So in other words, it's, it's like when you watch the Olympic swimming matches with Michael Phelps, there, there's different lanes. So maybe that's helpful. I'm just trying to think of how to describe that. Would it be helpful to say it's almost like the stream in front of you has these lanes, you know, it could be four or five or six. And 
And each one of those lanes may be moving at a different speed, right? Yes, and yeah. also I think sometimes the the and it's again you, it's hard to know this, but the you know the current at the top of the you know at the top of the water column might be moving at a different speed than the you know than yeah. the flow at the bottom of the of the run. So mm -hmm. it, it's you know this idea of mending, um, this idea of dealing with drag is one of the most basic elements I think of fly fishing. And every time I fly fish, I yeah. feel like. I'm a newbie at it. Okay, so if uh, uh, so, if I throw my fly out there and and it's let's say the fly is in a slower lane, but but the middle section of my line is in a faster lane. That's that's when I get dragged. So how do I avoid that? You talked about mending. What does that mean? So the way to overcome drag is not simply, but simply to mend your line, to flip the midsection back upstream. Now, that's not always true. Sometimes there's nuance to that. Last fall, when we were fishing this run, because of the size of the run, the angle of the run, mm -hmm. when we would cast that fly, we actually had to um, almost get the loop. Um, we actually almost yeah, had to do cast a reverse mend, right? It was almost yeah. a reverse mm -hmm. mend because yeah. of how quickly the water was moving through yeah. that run. So, But the goal, ultimately, is to overcome drag. Yeah. Now, you can also do that by putting some slack in your line, especially as it's floating downstream. And uh, think about it, if you're nymphing, or even if you're dry fly fishing, uh, if you're, you're casting maybe at an angle, 45 degree angle up river, and then you watch that fly or your uh, strike indicator, it's floating by you, but you wanna get a nice long drift, you let it go by you, uh, the challenge is uh, you, you want some slack in your line as it's going downstream. So if, if you're casting downstream, you can uh, make the cast and then uh, pull up a little bit in your rod tip and, and it'll put some kind of waves in that. Or, or sometimes, even if it's downstream, I'll just strip out some line and kind of shake my, you know, the, the tip end of my rod almost like I'm scribbling out a, a letter that I wrote. And what that does is that puts some slack out there so that instead of this, uh, yeah, just this tight, straight line that, that as soon as the, the current takes it, it starts to get dragged, you've got this, okay, your, your line looks like ribbon candy or it's kind of a series of S curves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's wavy and that means it's going to be less susceptible to drag. So this is a problem with dry flies as well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and the problem is, is that you're typically not casting directly in front of you and then you just have to let that fly drift straight mm -hmm. back to you and you have to kind of bring in your line as you do it. Yeah. So it's much more complex than that. And so what happens is if you don't monitor your drag, then the, the, the fly itself leaves a wake. And the cliche in the industry is it leaves a wake like a water skier. I'm yeah. looking for a better or more fresh way to say it, yeah. but a wake is a wake is a wake, yeah. right? And so, um, so whether it's a dry fly or whether it's nymphs. Yeah, what happens with a nymph? What happens under the water? Is drag a big deal under the water? Well, I think it's the midge or whatever the nymph is that you're fishing zooms by the trout at a very unnatural speed, yeah, so much more right. quickly than mm -hmm. how it would normally flow. Again, you're trying to imitate these nymphs as they tumble and roll down the bottom of the river. And that's just, that takes a lifetime, I think, of, of, of work. It's the great skill and the great craft of fly fishing. All right, so physics can help us overcome uh, drag. And uh, yeah, Gary Borger's right, that's the number one uh, problem. There's a second insight that I think physics can help us with, and that's with the strike. In other words, when the fish uh, 
uh, you know, fish goes for your fly, you're, you're striking, you're, you're trying to set the hook. Uh, the rule of thumb is to pull up when you're fishing dry flies. And if you think about it, that makes sense. The fish rises for your fly and then is heading down. So what you're trying to do when you pull up is you're pulling the opposite way. And, and that works. The problem when you're fishing nymphs is, and I've, I've done this before, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've just been pulling up and I've had people call me out on that. Uh, you know, with nymphs, think about the fish. They're, they're in the river, they're, they're facing upriver because the current's bringing them food. So if my fly is floating down to, uh, uh, to a trout, uh, what am I going to do? Well, when they, they take the fly, so often I've pulled up, and I know I've lost some fish yeah, that you way. you just yank it out of their mouth. Yeah, but if you pull to the side, particularly, specifically, the downriver side, uh, and again, this is hard because you're hearing this, you have to visualize it. The trout is facing upriver. When it takes the fly, you pull downriver. That pulls it back into the trout's mouth. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal. If, if you don't, you're just going to lose some fish. Yeah. And I think some days it could be that you're losing all the, you're actually getting yeah. strikes, but you're mm -hmm. actually losing them. I know I've had days on the driftless where I've had strikes, but I didn't catch a single fish throughout the day. Yeah. And I wonder, was I just pulling up all day, yeah. you know, yeah. on, and was I not pulling down river? And it's amazing how these little techniques, little, um, tactics make the difference between having a, you know, four or five fish day or actually yeah, they really with, do. with nothing, right? They really not do. That you, go home with the fish but catching yeah. no fish right yeah we so, know what you mean a third area where physics can help us is in our casting and so it's really important that you make sure the rod is parallel with the ground on your final forward cast that final stroke forward i've watched a lot of fly fishers keep their rods pointing up at a <laughs> yeah, 45 like degree angle <laughs> as their line shoots towards its target yeah. and um, in fact i was videotaped this last summer at a high mountain lake and I went back and looked at it. I was going to post the video on Instagram. It was such a horrible example of casting that I thought <laughs> I cannot post this because people are going to like correct me. But I, you know, I had great, I was flicking the wrist. Now I was above the tundra, so I had to keep my hand real high because yeah. the ground rose up behind me. So I had to be careful not to get snagged with my back cast. But it was horrible. My, my rod was at a 45-degree angle when I was done with that forward cast. And now I caught fish that day, but I was just thinking, seriously, after yeah. all these years, mm -hmm. I'm still yep. violating the most basic law of physics. So, uh, you know, as legendary fly fisher Gary Borger observes, this creates all sorts of what he calls shoot-shortening friction. Yeah, that makes sense. If if you want your line to shoot out, uh, you you want it to have uh, you know the the least path of resistance. But if if your rod is pulled up like at a forty five degree angle, that's pulling up your line. That's going to stop it. So, in other words, when you're casting, it's on that final cast when the line is shooting out that you really want to make sure that's parallel. Um, yeah, you just have to do that. You know, this same principle really helped me, uh, yeah, last year when we were fishing the Missouri River in that, remember that tailwater section below yeah, Hauser below, Dam? We were kind of cycling through about a 200-yard stretch yeah, of river, the three of us. Kind of fishing it like steelhead yeah, running exactly. away. 
and it was really requiring longer cast. And I just remember, wow, if I if I take the the time to remind myself, you know, keep that rod parallel to the ground, uh, amazing how you can get a lot longer uh, cast that way. I think this point, uh, the physics of casting, it is. You see the difference when you are making on those bigger mm -hmm. rivers, making those longer casts, and um, and so that's really a really important thing. It is. Now you can use that same uh, uh, aspect of physics to uh, help you land your line softly. So you're making this long cast, and uh, right, let, let's say you've got your rod parallel to the to the ground or parallel to the river. But right about the time it's, it's going to land, you just pull up on it a little bit, uh, you know, bring your rod back up, point it back up to about a 45 degree angle. And what it does is it just stops the momentum and your, uh, your, your fly line is kind of, uh, you know, all the, the uh, forward momentum's gone out of it and it just drops down like a feather you know, <laughs> to the ground. That well, actually reminds quite, me, but, uh, <laughs> this is kind of an aside because uh, it's a slightly different point, but I remember when we were fishing with your friend out in Montana, we were fishing PMDs, or was it Trico's that one day? Yeah, Trico's. Was Trico's day, on yeah. the East Gallatin mm -hmm. or yeah. the West Gallatin? The East Gallatin. Yep, East Gallatin. And we yeah. were actually fishing the dry flies downstream, so you'd have to mm -hmm. cast it, and then you're at the last moment, you bring the tip of your rod back, yeah. and the fly would float very, it would land very gently on the stream, and then mm -hmm. it would give you probably five, six, seven feet to actually float down before you had to lift it off the, the, uh, the creek yeah, again. It's kind, that of that same, uh -huh. yeah, it's kind yeah, of that same, yeah, it's kind of that same principle. It is. So man, see how much physics can help us out. Actually see how much physics we've been using. We didn't even know what to call it Yeah. because we're literature guys. Right? I'm just grateful for all your friends who teach us all these oh, things. Oh man, I know that that's the key to our success. <laughs> totally. Honestly, it is. Really Whatever is. success we've had yes. is all Steve's friends. <laughs> they get the credit. So. Well, hey, a fourth insight which relates to physics has to do with the rod angle when fighting fish. You know, I, I think the typical picture of a fly fisher is with that rod straight up, you know, 90 degree angle to the surface of the river. Now, the problem is that means that the pressure is going to be applied to the rod tip section. And a good sized fish that makes a sudden run or lunge can break off your line or it, it break your rod tip. Now that, that's really the issue. It can break off that rod can tip. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. You know, looking through a lot of photos on Instagram, I'm, uh, I follow a lot of fly fishers. Almost every time you see somebody fighting a fish, their rod tip, it's straight up. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, if you're fighting a steelhead and your rod's tipped straight up or you're fighting a big trout, oh, I mean, you have you have the risk of breaking that yep, tip off. You really do. Plus, you're not tiring them out. Yep. So the, the key when you need to apply more pressure is to lower your rod from a 90-degree angle to about a 45-degree angle. And what that does is it moves the pressure point to the midsection of the rod where it's thicker. And, and that works great. But wouldn't that create less give so that a fish could snap it off? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And that's why, uh, uh, you know, landing a fish is a bit of an art because you have to allow enough give so that they don't uh, snap off, especially when using a small tippet size. And yeah, that, that's why you might keep your rod up a little higher, like at a, you know, at a 90 degree angle. But 
or a uh, 65 or 70 yeah, that's degree it. angle. Drop it down a little bit so that uh, you have enough strength. Man, it doesn't take forever to land the fish. You have to find that balance. You know, that, that reminds me of something else, too, that I've learned from Gary Borger. Uh, Borger points out that the muscles of a fish's body are organized into these uh, chevron-shaped groups. And again, you're listening to this, you need to visualize it. Uh, chevrons are like those little arrows without shafts. In fact, chevron gas uses that symbol. Uh, if, if you look at their... Uh, I think they can just visualize my abs and think of them like the chevron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, a big strike indicator floating down the river. That's more like it. <laughs> now, anyway, these chevrons uh, are on a fish's body are pointed forward, and they're, you know, they're, they're right along the lateral line. And Borger says that this arrangement allows them to move their bodies in an S-like fashion. But if you ever watch a trout from above, you, you kind of see that wavy movement. Yep. Well, the point is that you want to make the fish use these muscles as much as possible to tire them out. And that doesn't happen if you're pulling straight up. So you have to haul them from side to side, uh, not straight up. Now, maybe some of those pictures that we've seen that we're kind of picking on, maybe they're taken right as uh, a fly fisher's about to land the fish. But when you're fighting that fish, you, you've got to haul it to this side, to that side. That's going to use the fish's... Uh, uh, muscles. You know, I, I was telling Dave this the other day. I was reading a fly fishing novel recently, and the author's a veteran fly fisher. He knows his stuff, but his main character was fishing a stretch of the Gallatin River uh, north of West Yellowstone, south of Big Sky, actually, on the very west edge of Yellowstone Park. And I fished that before. Not too far from Taylor Fork, actually. No, that's right. Just south, just south of Taylor Fork. Anyway, this character was taking 10 minutes to land an 18-inch rainbow. And I thought, what? That, no way. No way. That's First silly. All, that's unnecessary. And, and if it takes you that long, well, you're going to have a fish that may Well, not maybe recover. he was using a size 8X tippet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's got to be it. Oh, man. So a fifth and final insight has to do with the pressure of the current. And so Gary has reminded us that fish avoid the constant displacement pressure of the currents by seeking places where the current is nil or very low or little. What? Displacement pressure? Blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, So blah, how blah. does that help us as a fly well, fisher? When you walk up to a river and to a stream, even if you fish it regularly, that river typically, certainly the Freestone Rivers in the West, those runs are changing. And, um, and so this this concept helps you read water. You're looking for fish yeah. downstream of big rocks, mm -hmm. along the deep cut banks, along the turbulence line that is in the slower water right at the edge of the fast moving current, what we call the seam or yeah. even the foam line, right? Yep. So, um, so this idea of avoiding, they're not going to be in the right directly in the, in the current. Yeah. Now, they may yeah. go out there to get something, but they're going exactly. back into their... Um, to their area where they can actually look upstream and, and look for food coming down the river. Yep, I mean, Borger's right. Fish avoid the constant displacement pressure. You know, they, uh, they, they, don't, they can't handle that. Uh, it's just going to wear them out. So, yeah, you're just looking at the water and saying, all right, if I'm a fish and I'm, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm close to food but, and close to protection, but I, I can't withstand this 
fast current, yeah, where am I going to Yeah, they're just burning energy out? and burning calories, yep, right? That's so. right. Well, hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, recently, a Seattle fly fisher, Dace, made this comment about our podcast on five unlikely places to catch trout. Uh, we talked a bit about fishing access sites. Anyway, Dace said, as for fishing at put-ins and takeouts, earlier this year, while waiting for a couple to pull their drift boat out, I locked into a 20-pound steelhead. Holy cow. And uh, this is the part I love. He says, I never had so many people trying to tell me how to bring it in. (laughs) (laughs) Had a dozen people tell me they couldn't believe that I caught it right there. Uh, I say fish the unexpected. Wow, that is a great story. It really is. That's great. I love that. I can just see that, too. Here's here's half a dozen people, and they're all giving them advice on how to... You talk about (laughs) pressure, huh? You know what that reminds me of? My son is a wrestler, and he was wrestling last week for uh, this championship match, and he was wrestling this son, and the family was was right behind us. So it was our son. We were videotaping, and yeah. their son in the finals of this it was uh, wrestling for 182. And between the couple behind us and the coach, they screamed at him the entire six oh, minutes man. of the match. Wow. I'm sure he didn't hear a word. No. It was, but anyway, that just it, reminds me. Tune it out. Tune yeah. it out, exactly. Oh, that's great. That Wouldn't that be fun? Though? I mean, that's every fly fisher's dream is right where you have an audience, you, you lock into a big Well, one. the worst thing would be to break it off, right? Right oh, before you yeah. get it in. Yeah, I know it. Oh, no kidding. Well, hey, that's going to do it for today. Have the laws of physics taught you anything about fly fishing? Uh, if that's the case, we'd really like to hear about it. So go to twoguysinariver.com comment on this podcast link Uh, what insights from physics have helped you become more adept or effective at fly fishing you can find two guys in a river pretty much everywhere on instagram facebook twitter itunes and stitcher we are everywhere we are ubiquitous and of course you can visit our site two guys in a river and we do publish a new episode and a new article each week well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.